This morning we are continuing our series on breaking barriers. Now for the last few weeks we've been walking alongside different individuals in the book of John as they have in one way or another run into a barrier that has kept them from following Jesus in the way that uh, Jesus was asking them to follow uh, him. And so our barrier that we're looking at this morning is one that I believe uh, a number of people uh, maybe are struggling with or hold in their life and we're going to unpack that together this morning and it's uh, our Bible reading takes us to John chapter 20. So if you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 20. This is a post-resurrection account that has been preserved here by John. It's only found in the book of John. John 20. And let's first read uh, verse 19. Verse 19, I think this is an important part of the story that we're reading together. John 19, uh, John 20, 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fears of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Then jumping down to verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The main character in our uh, Bible passage here today is Thomas, and unfortunately for him, uh, through all the years he has inherited a nickname which most of us know as Doubting, Doubting Thomas. Isn't that, wouldn't that be awful? For 2,000 years you have that attached to you, that you are Doubting Thomas. I think that's incredibly unfortunate for him. I mean, none of the other disciples have a nickname attached to them, like Sinking Simon or Unfocused Philip or Mixed Up Matthew. And yet here we have Thomas, which they continue to call him Doubting Thomas. And what is rough for him is that even in the, uh, the original language here, the word doubt never appears. There is no word for doubt here. When, when, um, when Jesus uh, is talking to him, all right, when Jesus is talking to him, he says to him, uh, I gotta find, let me see, I just lost, I lost my place in my Bible. Um, let's see. Yeah, thank you. I'm completely lost this morning. Must be I have to get a bigger print. Uh, I know, it's already. Uh, 
where Jesus says to him, stop doubting and believe, that phrase in the original language, the word that is used there is pistos, which is, means faithful. And essentially the first, it says, uh, it says, don't be apistos, be pistos, is what it says in the original languages. So don't be apistos, unfaithful, be faithful. Or another way to say is don't be unbelieving, be believing. And I like the way that they say it uh, in the message uh, where, where they have Jesus saying, uh, don't be unbelieving, believe, as Jesus turns to Thomas. Don't be unbelieving, believe. And what is Jesus asking uh, Thomas to believe? It's the testimony of the other disciples, right? That they had saw Jesus risen from the dead. We have seen the Lord, they said. And Thomas, who wasn't there, says, I, 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 I can't believe this. I, I can't go there with you guys that you saw Jesus alive. That he was standing here. The Jesus that died on the cross and we, we saw his hands get the nails put through him and we saw them pierce his side and, and, and the liquid came out proving that he was dead and it was carried to the tomb. A stone was rolled in front of it. The guards are sealed up that tomb. And you want to tell me that this Jesus is alive? And the disciples are, yes, we have seen the Lord. He's like, I can't believe it. Unless I see it with my own eyes. And, and to be fair, to, again, to be fair to Thomas as I advocate for him, his position was not a whole lot different than the other disciples. Right? Because what we... What we, read, what we read in John 20, if we even look a little verse uh, further, uh, verse 18, John 20, 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them. And so what was the result of the disciples at that point? On 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked in fear. It wasn't until Jesus showed up that they were overjoyed then when they saw the Lord. So Mary was like, we've seen him. And the other disciples were like, yeah, we doubt it. But yet they're not called doubters. It's just Thomas. But really, Thomas, we can't really blame him. Because people are not resurrected every day, are they? I mean, at this point, I mean, for him to think about this, it's not un unusual to go, this doesn't make, doesn't make any sense because people are not resurrected, not in his day and not in our day. Do we know too many people are resurrected? You know, hey, I'd like you to meet Steve that I work with. Uh, he's my buddy, and uh, last year he died, and now he's resurrected, so I'd like you to meet him. That just doesn't, just doesn't happen, so it's not in the frame of reference. And for them to say, Jesus, who he tangibly saw die and put in the tomb, like, I, I can't go there with you unless I actually see it with my own eyes. I need to see it. I need to have the experience of seeing the risen Jesus, and then I'll believe. And I think we get that, don't we? Because sometimes you're told things, and you're like, nah, unless I see it, I'm not going to believe that. I mean, we have that in our family. Uh, quite often when we would go on uh, vacation, and when the kids were younger and we're riding in the, in the car, my wife has a history in our family of seeing things that none of us else see. And usually it revolves around... It revolves around animals. 
We're riding around and we go, oh, did you see that alligator over there? Yes, honey, I'm sure it was a huge alligator. We saw. <laughs> oh, look, did you see the dolphin floating out? Did you see it jumping in the bay? Did you see the moose out in the woods? Oh, yeah, there was a moose. And then we were down in uh, North Carolina, and Amy said to us, oh, guys, look, look at the white squirrels. And we're like, white squirrels? You saw white squirrels? Squirrels are gray. Squirrels are brown. They're black. But good for you. You saw a white squirrel. That's awesome. And so we're doubting what, it, what Amy sees. And we were there in North Carolina, actually, and we pulled up into this park, uh, right in front of this park, and there in front of us, all over the grass, were white squirrels. Did you like, see, right there, there's white squirrels. And I do have to say, every time she's been vindicated, she has seen these things, and, but it wasn't until we saw them ourselves that we actually believed, right? And maybe you've had that with other people and other stories, unless you see it, you're not going to believe. And that's exactly what Thomas is saying here. And so Jesus accepts his challenge and Jesus shows up and he not only appears before Thomas, he does him one better. He says, you want to see me? How about touching me? You can touch the holes. You can touch in my side. And Thomas instantly recognizes Jesus as the one that he has walked with for three years. He knows that Jesus is Lord and without offering an apology without uh, any reservation unhesitatingly Thomas drops to his knees and he declares in what is the highest uh, Christio, we call it Christological um, uh, uh, giving Jesus a title Christological of, oh, I'm struggling for a word uh, Thomas here Lord. title a Christological title I'm just going to sit with that. that that he says you are Lord and God. Jesus, you are Lord and God. Putting that title on Jesus. And when the, when the, first, uh, when the first listeners who received this message heard this, when they heard him say Lord and God, their minds would have been brought back to the Old Testament. Because what did the whole nation of Israel call their God? They called him Yahweh. Lord and God. So when Thomas makes this statement and he falls on his knees, he's declaring that Jesus is God. He is Yahweh, Lord and God. And we see John pick up on this again when John writes in Revelation. He writes the words in Revelation 4.1. He says to him, 4.11, You are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. Essentially, Thomas is declaring, he's went from one who had doubts, if you will, had skepticism, who had unbelief, and right here, he's come full circle around and he's making the bold declaration that the one that is standing before me is risen, and he is Lord and God. His sensory experience of being able to see Jesus led him to this deep faith. Well, we may be saying, well, that's, that's good for Thomas. But what about those of us who are here today that maybe are, are walking in the same steps of Thomas and maybe we're a little skeptical about this idea, right? Jesus resurrected from the dead. We're going to hear a lot about that at Easter and say, yeah, I'm going to hear a lot about it. And, 
And I read a lot about it, man. I've been taught since I was little about the resurrection of the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. But I'm not sure I believe it. I'm not sure that I can go there. And this whole notion, which all of our Christianity hinges on, the central feature here, that Jesus has risen from the dead, is one that mm, has become a barrier for you. One that maybe you just can't quite seem to grasp. So what do, you, what do you do? We know that many are struggling with this, especially in the, what I'll say is the younger generation. LifeWay Research has reported that those who are 18 to 34, 60% say we, we don't believe in the biblical resurrection of Jesus. So it's a stumbling block. It's a barrier. And so how do we move past that barrier if we're, we're thinking about this resurrection idea? Because like Thomas, Jesus... Jesus is not probably going to stand in front of us and show us his, his wounds. So what do we do? Well, if you're facing that situation today, my encouragement to you is this. It's pretty simple. To lean into this Bible passage. I believe this is why God has given us doubting Thomas. Why his questioning has been preserved through thousands and thousands of years because i believe that thomas stands in the position for any one of us who would doubt the resurrection of jesus christ here's thomas who was a disciple of jesus who was an ardent follower of jesus who was willing to go with him to jerusalem and die with jesus here is thomas who suddenly is doubting his faith doubting the testimony and Thomas stands here for, for people of all time. Because as this gospel is written, it's 50 years later, none of those who probably received this letter actually saw the risen Jesus. And all of us who have come after have not seen the risen Jesus. And yet our faith hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so what do those of us who, who didn't have the opportunity to actually see Jesus with our own eyes what do we do? We thank God for preserving this passage for us and for giving us Thomas who stands there for us and Thomas who was one of, I cannot believe, moved into a position because he saw the risen Jesus. They saw the wounds, saw the side, saw him standing there and recognized that Jesus is Lord and God. And so we trust Thomas's testimony we trust thomas's testimony right here given for us that thomas saw jesus risen from the dead a fact not only did thomas see jesus risen from the dead but the testimony of the early church quotes that many others also saw Jesus risen from the dead. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 often is referred to as a, a creed of the early church. And when they say creed of the early church, it just means it's a statement. It's, it's a, uh, it, it captures beliefs that the early church had that they passed from one to another to another as, as the faith began to develop and began to grow. And there are many commentators who point to this passage right here and say, this creed 
was probably given to the early church right around 31 or 32 AD, which would be just right two years after Jesus died. This is what the church is saying. And they've been telling each other this over and over and over again. And by the time it's written down here in Corinthians, now we're at 51 AD. This is just 20 years later after Jesus had rose from the dead. Paul writes it down. And he's saying, this is what we, this is what we the early church, believe. This is what, what is true. And he says this, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you, the good news, right, which you received, okay, so they received it, Paul said, I gave this to you, you received it, this is the testimony, this is the good news that I'm sharing with you, you received it from me, and now you have believed into it, you have believed it, and you have taken your stand, this is what you're hinging it on, by this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, again, what Paul received, okay, see how this is being transmitted? What I received, I passed on to you as first importance. First importance, the number one thing. Here's the number one thing, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, i.e. have died. Then he appeared to James, who was Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me. Also, what he says, as to one abnormally born. Paul, when he says that, it's because he wasn't Jewish. He didn't fall in that line. Uh, I mean, he was Jewish, sorry. That was almost heresy. Uh, Paul... <laughs> and, and so what, we're, what we have going on here is this is what the early church passed on. And so do you see that it was not only Thomas who gave witness to Jesus Christ, that he saw him, but it also was Peter who saw Jesus Christ. It was the other disciples who gave witness to Jesus Christ. It was Jesus' own brother who was earlier on in the Gospels a little skeptical about his brother's claim to his divinity, who believed and saw the risen Savior. And we are told that over 500 others were witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 500 others. And Paul writes here, and he says, you know what? Many of them are still living. So you don't believe what, what, what you're reading here? There's 500 of them still living, so what would you do? You'd go ask them. Why would Paul write that in there if that wasn't true? Because he would write, well, there was 500 people. Many of them are still living. Go ask them. Okay, Paul, give me their names. Okay, here they are. And they go ask them. And it hasn't been refuted. Because if Paul wanted to start some sort of rumor, and if they were living on some sort of rumor, you wouldn't say, you know what? There's 500 people who saw it. They're still alive. And if you want to, you can still go talk to them. That would be a very silly way to start a, a rumor and to give a legend that really wasn't true they didn't do it because it wasn't a legend it was true 500 saw him for a month after jesus was resurrected from the dead there were people who talked with him who ate with him had fellowship with him who saw the wounds in his hands who saw his side just like thomas and they're coming out here and saying here's the testimony 
You, you, you don't think that you can believe? You think that you're a skeptic because you need to see Jesus Christ? Well, God right here in his goodness has preserved for us the witness and testimony of hundreds of people who saw the risen Savior. And if we are a skeptic, we can lean into their testimony that they saw it. And because they saw it, I received it, and I know it to be true. We don't hang our faith just on some sort of pie-in-the-sky notion. Yes, we live by, uh, by faith and not by sight, but I didn't, my sight, I didn't see Jesus, but my faith is not on nothing. My faith is on the testimony of those who have gone before me and what I received. And what I received is that Jesus was risen from the dead. That's first importance. He died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared. That's our Jesus. That's who we trust. That's who we, who we lean into. And, and some people will say, well, okay, Pastor Bob, you're just making your argument out of the Bible. Right? I'm making it out of the Bible. And so I'm a little iffy about that. You're saying you're using the Bible to prove... What the Bible says well yes I am but I want you to know that you can hold on to this is truth in spite of what the world says this is God's revealed word to us this is God's truth to us and in fact the Smithsonian Department of Anthropology let me get a little technical here with you says this it says much of the Bible in particular the historical books of the Old Testament are as accurate historical documents as any that we have from antiquity and are in fact more accurate than many of the Egyptian, Mesopotamian, and Greek histories. If the Bible was not a book of faith, if a Bible wasn't that, that, that the, the truth of God, this, this uh, religious book that causes us to just take a stand and decide are you going to believe it or not, if it was just a regular book is what it's saying, it would be lifted up above all the other histories we have from ancient world. Let me get a little more technical with you for those who, who uh, may appreciate this. The other thing that we, when we look at the scriptures and we're evaluating them, we look at the number of manuscripts. Why do we look at the number of manuscripts? How many copies of John do we have? How many copies of Matthew? Where do we have this and that? How many do we have? Because it's the only way that we get direct reports. And we can compare the data with multiple manuscripts to compare and contrast and find out what is true. In Plato, the works of Plato, which tell us the history back there of the Greek world, we have seven manuscripts. Tacitus, in his Annuals of History, who talks about the Roman world, which really goes from Emperor Tiberius to Nero, the exact same time as Jesus, we have 20 manuscripts. Homer, the Iliad, 643 manuscripts. The New Testament, we have 5,000 in Greek, 10,000 in Latin, 10,000 in other languages. So the testimony of, 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 of manuscripts is that the Bible is fully more reliable than any of the others. And yet we do not question Plato's history. We do not question Tacitus's history. The Bible lays up there as true. In addition to the number of manuscripts, we also talk about the date of the manuscripts because the closer to the original date, the better. The closer we can get to when it happened, the better. It's less opportunity for data to be lost. Again, you can see in Plato's works, it was written in 400 BC. 
the first copy we have is AD 900, 1,300 years later. Tacitus, written in 100 BC, the earliest copy we have is AD 1100, a gap of 1,000 years. Homer the Iliad, 900 BC, earliest copy 400 BC, a gap of 500 years. And yet in the Gospels that are written around 40 AD, the earliest copy we have of the original is 150 AD, 110 years. Again, I just submit to you that the Bible, in terms of accuracy by any measurement that we use today, lines up as being truthful in, what it, in the document that it is. Author uh, and commentator F.F. Bruce says this, the evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of classical authors, the authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning, and if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. See, friends, I deliver this information because I don't like to be a dumb Christian, right? I don't want to be one of those, oh, you just, you just leaning into it as a crutch. Oh, you don't really know, it's just these fables. I think I'm a pretty smart guy, and I like to wrestle with things, and at the end of my life, I want to know that I planted in the right place. And I think we reasonably can point back to the rest of the world, which wants to just condemn God's word, and just wants to shove it off to the side and say, no, you, you, it, it, it holds up. It holds up more than the other things that people believe in. We know the first biography of Alexander the Great was written 500 years after his death. And yet most people believe in Alexander the Great and everything that it said in the biography. But when it comes to this book, the world wants to question it. Why? Because it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides and you gotta decide, are you gonna be with Jesus or not? And the testimony of the scripture is that you can be with Jesus because it's true. And because all that the Old Testament prophesied, all that the Old Testament said was going to occur, all the ways that God would be working in the future to save his people, to bring them back in a relationship with him, would happen through his inner working of his Christ. I uh, came up with a little give us life on it to keep him in power and raised and because so they arranged a break into the will be raised uh, again. It was the water made believe where there was an office for the Democratic National Convention. What happened? 
They weren't facing death. They were facing disbarment. They were facing public ridicule. The, the standard was a lot less for them. But each and every one of them caved in within two weeks because they knew it wasn't true. And yet, friends, I look at the, the disciples, those first 12 disciples who went out into the world and they faced the most horrific kinds of death. And all they had to do was recant and say it's untrue, he did not rise from the dead. And not one of them, not one of them recanted on their testimony. And we know, uh, well, we, the tradition tells us that Thomas, Thomas went to, was, went to India, where he was to be a missionary, bringing the good news of Jesus. And their tradition tells us that he died uh, by being impaled with a spear. And I don't know about you, but if I think about this doubting Thomas who's standing here being really skeptical of Jesus, I can't imagine that this skeptic and this doubter, if he knew the story to not be true, would stand there at spear point and die for a lie. Because he knew it to be true. He couldn't do it. And so today, I just want to encourage you, if you are a skeptic and you're thinking that I cannot believe in this resurrection, to look past your, to look past your own eyes and let Thomas see for you where Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus and gave a testimony. And Jesus tells us very clearly, he says, blessed are you, Thomas, because you, you have seen me. But blessed are those who believe in not having seen me. What an encouragement from Jesus, knowing today our faith doesn't hinge on us seeing Jesus Christ. We can step into the blessings of the kingdom simply through our belief. Our belief built on what? What was passed down to us from one to another to another, that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. And my hope today is that you will choose to break down that barrier and that you will choose to believe believe in Jesus Christ the resurrection and his resurrection from the dead so that it can be said of you just as Paul said to the church in Asia in 1 Peter 1.8 without having seen him you love him though you haven't seen him now you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable joy and full of glory. I hope that describes you today as we, God's people, believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, our Lord and our God. Amen. Let us pray together. God, I thank you uh, for your love for us that you would look down the line and and you you made a way for each of us by preserving your word that has withstood the test of time and today speaks to us through thomas who so long ago doubted you and said yep i see him and i believe and father i want to pray for those that are here this morning that find themselves in that 
that place where they are, where they may be skeptical and they may not have crossed over that line of faith yet and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And today, right now, with your Holy Spirit, would you help them to see God? Would you give them eyes to see? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you, uh, would you um, dispel their disbelief? Let them simply step across that line and put their belief in you. If that's you today, you can do that right now. You can just say, Jesus, I see now. I see that you are resurrected from the dead. And I want to put my faith and trust in you. Because I know it's through you that my sins are forgiven and through you that one day I will be resurrected where death will not have its effect on me and I can live with my God forever. Just tell him that today. Just say, Jesus, I believe. God, I thank you for those that are here, this community of faith that has placed their hope and trust and confidence in you. And especially as we come to this season of the year, God, help us not to keep this good news quiet. As Paul said, I give you this good news, which is of first importance, that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. God, would you put that, would you put that message on our lips? It's that simple. And as the early church passed it on with great joy, as they passed it on with great conviction, may we be able to go out into this world in the next few weeks as Easter comes up, and we utter those same words to those around us because we know we have family members who don't believe, neighbors who don't believe, we have co-workers who don't believe, and God, they are in such a precarious place in this day, and all they have to do is receive this gift of Jesus Christ. And God, may we be the messengers. May we be the agents of that good news. And so put those people in front of us and help us to be prepared always to share the hope that we have within us. And God, we pray that there may be a full house here on Easter morning just ready to, to receive the good news of our resurrected Jesus Christ. We thank you for the precious gift of Jesus, and we do all things in his name because he is our Lord and God. And we pray it in his name today.